Welcome everyone to FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and sometimes discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and excited to be bringing you these new reviews this week. Here on FF Plus, the format is pretty straightforward. I will start by talking about what I liked about each movie, because we're always big fans of positivity here at Feelin' Film. Then I'll transition and mention anything that I didn't like, before eventually giving you a recommendation about whether I think the film is worth your time and money. That's it. Simple, short, and spoiler-free. Now before I get into the film reviews this week, a bit of news, a little announcement to share. Unfortunately, our partnership here on the show between myself and Coles is coming to an end. We're putting no specific end date on this. It could potentially reverse itself and we could be getting back together later in the year in 2022. But for now, the show is going to continue with myself bringing it to you solo. For the most part, I may bring in guests here and there as things go. But Kales is going to be starting up his own writing site. So we'll be sure to share that and give you uh, everyone a chance to follow him and stay in touch that way. The reasons for this are primarily because the idea of Feelin' Film Plus and the weekly review show was to give you bite-sized information. It was to be a quick five to ten minutes or less per movie in order for you to fire it up each week, get your information, decide whether or not you wanted to go see something in a theater, and then move on with your day. It wasn't supposed to be in-depth. And naturally what happens when you get two people talking is you get more discussion, you get two opposing views on things. Sometimes they'll align, sometimes we have to hash it out. And that's fun. There's a lot of great quality in that. But the episodes get longer and longer and longer. And for me to bring you three or four new movie reviews each week, which happens sometimes, we start pushing these episodes out over an hour. And I know that many of you don't have that time in your schedule, and that's not what you're looking for. So. This is the direction we're going to try at the beginning of 2022. Hopefully it goes well. Coles will be back with me for at least one more episode of this show here at the end of 2021. We'll be bringing you our best of the year episode next week. That's going to be an absolute blast. And then he will be still chiming in here and there. He'll be making guest appearances, doing movie drafts and such and so forth with us throughout 2022 even if he's not a regular on FF Plus anymore. And he's not going anywhere, folks. He'll still be in the Feel and Film Facebook discussion group as well. With that out of the way, the first film that I'm going to talk about today is The Tragedy of Macbeth, starring Denzel Washington, Frances McDormand, Bertie Car Carvel, Alex Hassel, Corey Hawkins, Harry Melling, and Brendan Gleeson. It is written and directed by Joel Cohen. What's it about? Well, as you'd imagine... Power-hungry Macbeth sets his sights on the Scottish throne after receiving a prophecy from three witches. Now, this is going to be a little bit different from a normal structured review where I talk about what I like and what I didn't like because, frankly, it's pretty much all in the light category with this film. The thing about this movie is that it is a visual and aural feast. Undeniably so, the cinematography in black and white the way that it is framed, it is undeniably gorgeous. It, it, it will completely captivate you. It will take your eyes on a journey and it will tell the story for you in such a way that you can pretty much follow along even if you don't necessarily know everything 
that's happening. The acting is top-notch for every performance. Denzel Washington is wonderful. Frances McDormand is amazing. Catherine Hunter really steals the show, honestly, as the three witches in this particular adaptation. And it is, without a doubt, what I would say, Joel Cohen channeling his inner Ingmar Bergman. And I say that with no hyperbole whatsoever. It is potentially the highest quality filmmaking achievement of the year, and perhaps the best Shakespeare adaptation ever, when you're looking at how you translate this stage medium of performance onto the screen in a cinematic way, and it is a work of art, I think, on all levels. The production, the sound design, the costumes, the impeccable sets, everything just works in concert here to form this mesmerizing motion picture. It is screening in IMAX at times, which I, I just can't even imagine how amazing this would look on a big screen. You might think to yourself, oh, it's just a Macbeth adaptation. Why would I need to go see that in this premium format in the theater? But I can tell you without any hesitation, it is worth your money. The only negative I have is really not necessarily a negative, but it's more of just a point of emphasis. And that is, this is Shakespeare, and it is real Shakespeare. And it can be like watching a movie in a foreign language if you are not familiar with Shakespeare and his language, or if you're not familiar specifically with this story. It's a very famous piece of work, and so I personally know the major beats of the story, and because of that, I'm able to follow along well enough. And I think that the way the movie stages its scenes, that it conveys the tone of the story and the mood and the plot direction. It's a, It does it as best you can possibly do for folks who may not quite understand what the dialogue is saying at all times. This doesn't hold your hand. So that's the one thing you have to understand going in, is that it's not going to be something where you understand every single line of dialogue and, and every single character motivation perfectly, unless you are a Shakespearean expert or someone who absolutely loves the Bard's work and has read Macbeth a million times and knows what all of these lines mean, right? So just keep that in mind. Otherwise, it is absolutely astounding. I think that it will be a heavy, heavy awards contender it's the kind of movie that is not a five-star movie for me personally. Necessarily, it was very close because I just think that the quality honestly is there. My experience with it wasn't quite that level because I wanted to understand the dialogue more than I did, even knowing the story. I just, I don't know, there was something missing for me, but it was very, very minuscule. And it is the type of film that I will be voting on in all categories, and I will happily watch it get a Best Picture nomination and root for its chances even because I think that it's that incredible. It is available in theaters on December 25th. As I mentioned, there was an IMAX screening for critics. I'm assuming it'll be an IMAX for the public as well. And then it will be streaming on Apple TV Plus beginning on January 14th of 2022. I'm absolutely 100% utterly feeling it. Go see it in the theater. It's worth it. Even if you're not familiar with Shakespeare, I think that you can get enough out of this to just recognize the high quality art making that we have here at work and respect that. So that's my thoughts on the tragedy of Macbeth. Now, second tonight, we have The Matrix Resurrections. 
the now fourth mainline film in the Matrix series. I guess fifth if you count the Animatrix. I don't think there's anything else, but I'm sure I'm probably missing something very obscure and fans are going to come for me on social media, but that's okay. I can take it. This movie stars Keanu Reeves, Carrie Ann Moss, Lambert Wilson, Jada Pinkett Smith, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, Jessica Hanwick, Jonathan Groff, Neil Patrick Harris, Priyanka Chopra Jonas, and Christina Ricci. It is directed by Lana Wachowski, it is written by Lana Wachowski, David Mitchell, and Alexander Heeman. What's it about? I'm going to give you the long version because in case you haven't revisited the series in recent years or something. 20 years after the events of the Matrix Revolutions, Neo lives a seemingly ordinary life under his original identity as Thomas A. Anderson in San Francisco, with a therapist who prescribes him blue pills, hint hint, to counteract the strange and unnatural things that he occasionally glimpses. He also meets a woman who appears to be Trinity, but neither of them recognizes the other. However, when a new version of Morpheus offers him the red pill and reopens his mind to the world of the Matrix, which has become more secure and dangerous in the years since the Agent Smith infection, Neo joins a group of rebels to fight a new enemy. All right, what did I like about this movie? The whole first act of this film has a setup that involves a video game and a video game studio. And it treats the Matrix itself sort of in this very meta way as if it was part of the gaming industry. I mean, even to the point where there's a Game Awards award in the film itself. And, you know, Keanu and Carrie Ann showed up at the recent Game Awards on stage presenting a new trailer for this film and revealing a new game that was tied into this as well. And so I personally, as a gamer, really enjoyed that. I thought that it was a very cool setup. The whole first act was pretty fascinating. And the thing about this movie is that you are really getting a lot of repetitive work here from the series that you've already seen. As I just mentioned in that plot synopsis, I mean, we are taking this and just doing it all over again in so many ways. Yes, it takes a few different directions and new ideas, but so much of it is familiar to us. And so by using this video game setting that they do in this first act, it makes it kind of fresh and intriguing. And at times it does actually generate some genuine curiosity and mystery about what is happening and where they're going to go with things in the future. Character-wise, Neil Patrick Harris absolutely slays. I think that he steals the show as the new architect character. He is a an analyst, and he kind of stands in for this this architect. You know, a lot of there's a lot of characters that are not necessarily one for one comparisons. Some of them are straight from the trilogy. Some of them aren't. They're new, but you'll get the idea, and you'll kind of be able to draw those conclusions in your head those lines between them and you'll say oh this is what he did in the original trilogy therefore this is kind of what that character is doing in this new film that's very similar but he is awesome he walks the line between this very friendly and open and caring person and then he has a, a flip that gets switched that's not the right way to say that he gets a switch that gets flipped and he becomes very very devious in a certain moments, and it's exciting to see it happen. I just think that he is a fantastic addition to this cast. I won't tell you what he does and whose side he's on, but 
he's a blast to watch uh, all the time when he's on screen. I also thought that Jonathan Groff was very good. He grew on me. He's kind of like the new Agent Smith. And at first, it was kind of, it was off-putting. I was watching this guy, and I was like, where's my Smith? Where's my charisma? You don't quite have it. It feels like you're forcing it. It just d- didn't give me the same vibe, right? And there's so many characters that are returning that it's difficult because you're like, well, okay, but if these guys are back, why isn't this guy back? By the end of the film, Jonathan Groff has some interesting beats that separate him from the traditional Agent Smith storyline, and I enjoyed those. And I just think that his performance was quite good, very solid, and it made me very curious about where they're going to take his character in the future. If you're not familiar with Jonathan Groff, you might recognize him when you see him because he was King George in the original Hamilton Broadway, and he also plays the voice of Kristoff in the Frozen movies for Disney. There's also Christina Ricci. She's really great. I thought there are other cast members. Uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, we'll get to him in a minute. Jessica Henwick is probably the new star of the show. If anything, I think she is kind of the closest thing to a new Neo as we would have, a character that you kind of get hooked into for emotional reasons. And I really enjoyed bugs and the way that she is progressed in this story so there's some good characters here and it it's not boring to watch them i don't understand some of the criticism i've seen of this film that jokes about i gave the movie three stars i'll tell you right up front and i've had some of my fellow critics tell me that's three stars too many well i don't agree i think that's silly my son and i had fun watching all right. Is it the best movie in the history of blockbuster filmmaking? Absolutely not. But it was good. It was entertaining. The other thing I really love about this, and I, I like some of the visuals, some of them I don't, but one thing I really like is this, the concept of where the world is at this point in time. And this is difficult because I, I don't want to talk spoilers, guys. I want to preserve your experience just the way that I got to have it. And what I'll tell you is, Some of the humans are not fighting the machines anymore in the same way as they were at the end of the Matrix trilogy. And there is a coexistence that is happening on some level. And I find the exploration of that to be quite fascinating. How all of that plays out, how we get to who is in this position and why they're in this position, I'm not going to spoil for you. But the fact that they are is kind of hard to avoid And it is one of the more intriguing ideas that this film tries to tackle and the directions it tries to go. And frankly, it's just more Matrix, okay? So if you like bullet time, if you like Neo with force powers, he does it all the time. And if you, you know, like the visual kind of gothic cyberpunk design of this world and this sci-fi universe, you're getting more of the same. However, when we get to the dislikes, I've got a few. There are some lengthy, boring sections that are very full of exposition dumps in this movie where we just talk a lot and have to go through explaining things because this is a new sequel to a trilogy that's very old. And so we can't perfectly assume that every single person rewatched all three movies and is ready to go. That's 
where it gets a little convoluted. There are a lot of old references. They do these long exposition dumps to try to explain things, but some others don't really get much explanation and they didn't feel that strong in my memory. And the movie just seems to be way too in love with its own meta narrative at times. Morpheus 2.0, played by Yaya, Abdul Mateen II, is not good. He's fine. He's a great actor who I love. The way the character is implemented did not work for me. It feels basically like an algorithm itself. It's really strange the way he's implemented and the way his character is disembodied at times and how he plays into Neo's progression and character growth in this movie. It was even distracting at times. It looks kind of cool, but to be honest, I felt that it was completely disrespectful to the legendary nature of how Morpheus was as a mentor and leader for that crew in the first trilogy. It's just not the same here at all. And I was like, why are you going to bring back that character if you're not going to do him justice? It's baffling. Just make a new character, right? You've already done that with several others. So what's the problem with doing that with Morpheus instead of trying to revive him and yet revive him different? It just didn't work for me at all. Neo's powers also was a big bummer for me. He seems to be very underutilized. The majority of his fight scenes and action moments are him putting up this force field barrier. And generally, that's about it. I mean, he doesn't do a whole lot in this movie. It got a little repetitive and a little boring, to be honest. I thought that we were going to get some more from him during these chase scenes, but we didn't. So... A lot of this just boils down to we're back where we started all over again. There are some slight variations to how things are now versus where we left them at the end of the trilogy, but we're really starting over again. And are we starting over because there really was more story to tell? Or did we craft a way, did the the Wachowskis and Lana, did she craft a way in which to continue this because she wasn't ready to let it go? And I see this happening all the time with sequels and with remakes. It's not because there's a very obvious continuation of the story that seems clear it was going to go in this direction. It feels shoehorned in. Like they needed to revisit this and they had to kind of figure out how they were going to make it fit in. And because of that, it is yet another super long movie in 2022. We've had a ton of these the last couple of months of the year. And it's hard to get through at times. And that's why you're going to see a lot of critics just completely lambasting this one and saying, not worth your time. It's trash. Don't go see it. Yeah, yeah. You know me. I'm usually much more in the middle. And that's where I am with Matrix Resurrections. So it will be in theaters and streaming on HBO Max for 30 days, starting on December the 22nd. You have your pick of how you want to see the movie. Am I feeling it? If you are a Matrix super fan of the second and third movies, I say go see it in a theater, see it in a premium format. You'll probably enjoy it and have a good time with it, and you'll be glad you saw it on a big screen, even if it's not the best movie for IMAX that I've ever seen. It's not even close, but it's good, and it's worth it, right? If you really only care about the first movie and the rest doesn't matter to you, I think you're going to be disappointed in this. And you probably should just either watch it at home or skip it completely. 
the majority of people, I think you're going to have a better time with looking back and not having regrets if you watch this at home. Kind of the way I look at this is if you watch it on HBO Max on your big screen TV and you really love it and enjoy it, you can always go see it on an IMAX screen after that for a second viewing. But you can't shake the feeling of wasting your time if you go to this theater for the first viewing. And I think this movie is divisive enough that many of you are going to have that reaction. So with that said, there's my recommendation for that. That's it this week on FF+. Hopefully you will have found something that piques your interest. I always love to hear what you think when you see any of the films discussed on the show. You can find me on Twitter at FeelinFilm or on Letterboxd at Aaron L. White. That's A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. A link to those profiles is always in the show notes, as well as one to come and join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group, where like-minded cinephiles and blockbuster fans alike come to chat about movies all day, every day. I will be back soon, but until then, keep watching and keep feeling fit. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.